Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Saman Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 110 of the Average Cheese Podcast. The whole family is here for episode 110. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Just happened yesterday. Let's t- start talking about it now. Damar Hamlin. Todd texted me during that game and asked me if I had seen it. I, I'll just be honest. I am thankful that I didn't see that play happen. Todd, were you watching yeah. the game when it happened? Oh, yeah. yeah Can I you kind of set it up? Because I'm sorry. I, I, I know, but I don't know. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was – it looked – you know, it, it looked – I don't want to call it routine, um, but it, it it was a hard hit, but it was a, a solid hit. It it didn't it, – there was no – nothing malicious on either player. There was no targeting. There was no penalty. There was no cheap shot. It was a it was a regular tackle. He was coming across T. Higgins' body from T. Higgins' right side. Kind of hit him up high a little bit, and then they – kind of twisted him to the ground and, and got T Higgins down to the ground. And it was just bang, bang hit. And he went to the ground and he popped up right away. And I think there was like a one or two second pause and he just boom, went straight down on it. Like he, his knees didn't buckle, but he went straight down like a board. Everyone just kind of sat there in shock. Then you just see it, it had a different atmosphere to it because you could see the reaction of the players on the field and you could see the reaction of the first responders on the field. It was immediate. It just kept going and going and escalating to the point where they were loading him up and then they had to take him back down. And that's where they were administering CPR. That's where things really, it was something I've never seen. I mean, I don't think anybody's ever seen something like that. It was just inexplainable and shocking and and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, I was sitting up, I guess, around 2 a.m. our time watching that game, sitting down to watch a Monday night football game between two very good teams. And it just happened as as Todd described. And I think that, you know, as Todd described, it's the type of play that you see many times every, every weekend. But when you saw how he went down, you immediately knew that this was... And the reaction, the immediate reaction of the officials and the players. You see guys get injured with legs or, or or that kind of thing, and you see players get upset. But you can see those happen in the tackle. But because, as, as Todd described, he got up and then went back down again. You knew it was it was serious. And um, yeah, I guess we're recording this at well, it's nearly twelve thirty my time on Tuesday night. So what is it? Kind of six thirty in. 6.30 Wisconsin my time. right now and yep. 7.30 where Todd is on yep. Tuesday evening. He's still reported as being in critical condition. That was the last update 
And we just hope that, I guess, that by the time that people get to listen to this, that the news is positive. I know that everybody's thoughts and prayers go out to him, his family, the teams. I thought the two coaches handled, as what we could see on television, I thought the two coaches handled the situation particularly well and with leadership for the, with their teams and with each other. We're just glad that this is not something we see or, as Todd said, perhaps we've never seen before on a, on a football field and we, you know, we don't want to see it again. Praise for the medical staff. You know, there's 30 medical staff at every NFL game, 10 from each team and 10 stadium staff. And from everything that we saw, everybody acted fantastically. The crowd as well. What else can I say? It's um, we just hope and pray, and hopefully that he comes out of that critical state and is okay. So he had a heart attack. He had a cardiac arrest on the field. I I don't know the words for that, so I don't. But it it is something that, like you said, Peter has has not happened. Now I I was listening to sports radio today. A guy got on the radio and said, in 1971, a Detroit Lion had a heart attack on the field, and if I'm not mistaken, he didn't make it. Uh, Chuck Hughes, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it is very rare, and I'm not diminishing what happened, so I hope that that's not how it's coming off. Whoever decided not to play that game last night to finish that game, that was the right decision, a thousand percent. You have to then look at these men as men and realize that they're in no condition to play this game, and so- that something just happened to their friend not just their teammate. And I think that that's a distinction that had to be made. And it was, I'm glad that it was the NFL came out and said, they will not replay that game. I think that's also appropriate on a positive note. His charity today is over $5 million. People have donated over $5 million to a charity that had a goal of $2,500. And that's awesome, right? That's people coming around, not just for him, but I just think that's cool. I think that they're turning this very scary situation into a small positive. Even after it happened, I stayed on the channel. Yeah. Because it was like, I felt like, I felt like one of the players, like I had to know, I had to find out an update. So it's like, they, you know, like ESPN kept cutting away to commercial and commercial. And I was like, I'm not changing the channel. Like, I got to find out what's going on. And, and when they, gosh, I, it was like a, at least an hour, right? Before they came back with an update to say that he was in critical critical condition. From the looks of how things went down in the field and to get the update that he was in critical condition, while that's not great, I thought for sure they were going to come back with an update that he didn't make it. So I, I was encouraged when I heard that. I was like, okay. That's fine. That's that's step one. Now let's get through this and get recovered from this. That was encouraging for me. Like you guys, it's difficult to find the right words, find the appropriate words, or we're all feeling the same way. As Todd just said, uh, it it um you were compelled to keep focusing and hoping that you were going to get some positive news. You just had to stay. And I will say, I, I think that. For all the criticism that TV networks and stuff get around these kind of situations, they were dealing with something that was unprecedented, and I, and I thought that they handled the situation as well as they, as well as any TV network in that situation could have done. So, Peter, it is episode one hundred and ten. It is the Lynn Dickey before he turned twelve <laughs> episode. <laughs> At least with number ten, we've got a few 
possibilities. I mean, you guys mentioned on this pod a couple of weeks ago, Jan Stenerud, yeah. of course, was a, oh, yeah. know, a good kicker for the Packers in the in the early 80s, had a long career with the Chiefs, mainly before the Packers and whatever else, was number 10 for the Packers. So he would have been a good pick. Aldel Greco, remember? Yeah, Aldel Greco. <laughs> Can he play with Houston too? For, for, yeah, he did. Went to Houston after the Packers. Kicked for the Packers for 10 years. He wore, he wore number 10. Aldo um, Greco kicked for 10 years for the Packers? No, for, for, for four years for the Packers. Oh, wearing number, I was like, where the hell was 10. I during that? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no you're, you're, something would have happened to your 10 years there that you, you, that you huh. missed about six of them somehow. No, no, for four years. <laughs> The Packers were in number 10. And, and, of course, in 15 years' time, we'll be talking about the greatest of all Packers, number 10s, Jordan Love. It'll be the Jordan Love episode when we get to oh, <laughs> get to season 20. Um, having gone through those guys, I thought that Matt Flynn was kind of an appropriate number 10. And the reason is, is there's a couple of games, two or three games that he had for the Packers that kind of really outstanding. And they're not too far in the long and distant past either. But... um. So big background was Packers won the national championship with LSU actually in 2007, was Packers draft pick in 2008. You know, for those seasons, 2008 to 2011, pretty much didn't see a lot of playing time backing up Aaron Rodgers until the last game of the 2011 season when the Packers were 14-1, and one, already secured the number one slot in the playoffs. And Matt Flynn pl- started and played that season closing game against the Lions at Lambeau Field and lit it up, threw for 480 yards and six touchdowns in a game the Packers won 45-41. Both of those marks, the 480 yards and six touchdowns, were Packers' all-time records, um, which is pretty impressive for a guy coming off the bench and making his first start. Bizarrely, Aaron Rodgers has equaled both of those records since, but not broken them. So Matt, Fl- th- oh. those marks for Matt Flynn are still right up there. Off the back of that, pretty much off the back of that one game, he got that huge free agent deal with Seattle, went to the Seahawks, didn't have the best of times, was cut by the Seahawks after a season, signed with the Raiders, was cut by the Raiders halfway through 2013 season and came back to the Packers when Rodgers was injured in during the 2013 season, backed up Scott Tolzien. And in doing that was the second probably really outstanding game in Matt Flynn's Packer history when he replaced Scott Tolzien in the third quarter of a game against I think it was Minnesota, it was the Vikings. And the Packers trailed by 16 points and he, with less than 12 minutes to go and he brought the Packers back to tie that game, 26-26. And then a couple of weeks later, three weeks later, he brought the Packers back from a 23-point deficit against the Cowboys. They were down 26-3 at halftime and came back to win that game 37-36. Matt Flynn threw four touchdown passes in the second half of that game to bring the Packers back and that that's the only instance of a Packers quarterback throwing four touchdown passes in the second half of a game. And that was pretty much his career, really, for the Packers, was those three outstanding performances, you know, 61% completion percentage, 86.3 passer rating. So nothing huge to write home about, but I think he'll always be remembered as as kind of Rogers' backup who did a did a good job when he was asked to do that job. And Matt Flynn, I think, was the one of the most interesting number 10s in Packers certainly in recent Packers history. Yeah, Matt Flynn. Cool. Thank you for that, Matt Flynn, episode 110. Let's move on to the slices. I have oh. to say this. So I got a message from your son this morning at like wow. 6.30. What time does your kid get up for school in the morning? My We're God. an hour ahead of you. Oh, that's right. I'm like, 
All of a sudden it goes, I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's 6.30 in the morning. And it's your son not taunting me. I put that in the notes that he was taunting me. You've clearly raised a nice young man because he apologized to me for winning the way that he did. Because I had T. Higgins and Joe Mixon playing last night and they only got to play for five minutes. So he apologized for whipping my ass last night. I, I did didn't know have, he did that. He did. That came oh, through wow. at 630 this morning. That's and I funny. did remind him that it's a two-week process, this playoffs. Yeah. So we'll see. So that's thank funny. you, Eric. And that's very kind of you to not taunt me. So now when I beat you next week, I will just say good game. <laughs> <laughs> He's already up by 30 on you. 30? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Well, He's I'm an idiot, three. and I played Trevor Lawrence instead of Dak Prescott, so that shows you what I know. Now, Lawrence had 4.48. Yes, he did. Anyway, no one cares about my fantasy football. Uh, the playoff scenario has changed. It's very simple now. The Packers win, and they're in. Yep. I did see that the NFL flexed that game to a 7-20 start, which is, as a Packer fan, I'm happy about that, but it's unfair to Lions and Lions fans. Because the Lions may know at that point that they have nothing to play for. If Seattle wins, I think then Detroit is out of the playoffs. No, I don't think Seattle's going to win, but you never know. And Seattle's not bad this year. I mean, they're not great, but they're not bad. I think they're 8-8 eight and eight right now, aren't they? Yeah. Seattle? Seattle plays the Rams, right? Oh, well, okay. Well, we'll see. I mean, who so, knows who the Rams are? Okay, so if Seattle wins earlier in the day, Detroit is out. Yes. And they have nothing to play for. So we can basically. They can shut her down. Yeah. (laughs) Which they won't because it's Dan Campbell. They won't shut her down. Right. And I think what makes that interesting, maybe I should save this for the, I think what makes that interesting is it could make Detroit very dangerous because they might not punt in this game. Dan Campbell doesn't want to punt at the best of times. And in a game like this, if they go into that game with nothing to lose, they may go for it on every on every fourth down, regardless of where it is on the field, which could be an advantage or disadvantage to the Packers. It may change the game altogether, but I guess we'll get there later. That's interesting. Yeah, that could really go south on them. I mean, Todd and I, didn't both of us pick Dan Campbell as our coach of the year? I want to say, yeah. I think I did. I, I think it'll be the, the dude from uh, New York, since they did make Dable, because they did yeah. make the playoffs. Yeah, the Giants coach, yeah. We'll see. When and they're in. We'll talk about that later. We do have a question from friends. Is this roster a Super Bowl winning roster right now? He seconds that with, what about going out and grabbing a guy like T. Higgins? So I'll start with the back end of that question. With Cincinnati being Cincinnati, they're not going to get T. Higgins. Not right in the middle of the playoff run. I do bring up OBJ and your guy. Todd, OBJ, still out there. Peter, I'll start with you. Is this roster a Super Bowl winning roster right now? No. Okay, no, you want to expound on that or you just want to leave it at no? no. no. <laughs> no. Like, we might be sitting there in two or three weeks' time thinking, you know what, they're really good. I think right now, yeah, they're off the back of four wins. But I, th- uh, but I think right now you can still see holes. You can still see holes in the run defense. You know, there are positions where you would say, I'm not sure how good these guys are. There are positions where 
you would think, regardless of what happens, unless they go on to win the Super Bowl, you're thinking, we probably need to change these guys next season. And the positions that we've talked about previously. And then you say, okay, forget the actual Pro Bowl voting. But if you were saying, how many of these guys are the best at their position in the NFL or in the best two or three in their position at the NFL, position by position, based on what we've seen this season, there aren't so many. Now, at the beginning of the season, on a blank sheet of paper, we thought there would be more. But right now, no, not for me. Now, that's not to say that they couldn't go on and win the Super Bowl. right? I don't think they will. I hope they will, obviously. You never know. Once you get into this situation where you just you could just win the game that's in front of you, they've done that the last four weeks, you win this week, play whoever it is the next week, and you just try and win that game that's in front of you. And before you know it, like in 2010, you're in the big game. So they're in with a shout. Todd, you want to answer that? Is this roster a Super Bowl winning roster? Yeah, why not? I think it comes down to they won four in a row. And at this time of the season, all it really depends on is who's playing good, consistent football and who's kind of peaking at the right time. And it seems like we are, especially with this performance against a 12-3 and Minnesota Vikings, right? The Vikings aren't a 12-3 and team, in my opinion. But look at some other teams that are imploding right now. Look at the Dolphins. They were a playoff team, and they were, they were on a roll, and they imploded. Dallas doesn't scare me at all. Not at all. And I don't think I think we match up fine with San Francisco or whoever else. I don't I don't think that there's anyone aside from maybe the Eagles. I can't think of anyone that we couldn't that that we would be like, eh, we probably don't stand a chance here. But I think we have a chance with pretty much everyone else. And you, and you talk about injuries too. Jalen Hurts is kind of banged up. He's coming back, but who can stay healthy and who's peaking at the right time? And I think we are in comparison to the rest of the teams that are leading some of the divisions. So I think we have a chance. I will say that I don't think we have a Super Bowl winning roster. The talent on the roster doesn't look like that. But I will agree with both of you in that you don't have to have the most talented roster out there to win games when you need to win games. The Packers have played well down the stretch, and that's huge. I think when you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, you can win games just on him alone. So while I don't think the talent is there, to answer Chris's question, I don't think there's enough talent on the roster to win a Super Bowl. And I don't think grabbing OBJ, T. Higgins, or whoever it might be is the actual answer. I think they could win a Super Bowl, though, with the talent they have right now. And I don't think they should go out and try to grab anybody. I think you ride with the guys you have in the locker room. So thanks, Chris. Appreciate the question. Let's move on to this game against the Vikings. I know you guys at least follow our Twitter account. Did you see the <laughs> that guy that calls Aaron Rodgers Perk Rodgers? It's like no. trap. You need to. I retweeted it. That guy makes me laugh every time he comes out with something. In the beginning of the game, they show Thielen and Osborne Jefferson like dancing, <laughs> and the guy goes, these aren't the Vikings that Ragnar Lothbrook invited, invaded Frankia with. I don't know why that <laughs> makes me laugh so much. I must have played that 18 times in a row from the show Vikings on the History Channel. I was a total I addict. I was a total addict to that show. I just That made me laugh. He calls Aaron Rodgers Perk Rodgers. Uh, it's good. Go look at our Twitter account. Anyway, they also scored. They almost went over on their own this week. Right. I think the over was like 48 and a half or something. They scored 41. Peter, let's start with you. 
there's so many good things to talk about. Pick. Well, I'll just start with one then. And offensively, Aaron Jones, running game generally, but Aaron Jones in particular, you know, went over a thousand yards rushing for the season, a thousand yards rushing at 5.1 yards per carry. So this isn't a thousand yards rushing at four yards a carry. This is another exceptional performance and he looked like a what we expect or hope out of Aaron Jones every week but he looked like he was going to you know rip off 8 9 10 25 every time he touched the ball whilst there were other things that got the Packers started in this game offensively it was the line blocking and the running for Aaron Jones that really impressed me they did better in the red zone they did slightly better in third down conversions. I think the person for me that uh, there was just a ton of like, this is the best game of the year. We waited 17 weeks for it to happen, but it happened. And it couldn't have happened at a better time against, of course, the Vikings, who I fucking absolutely hate. So, and there's a lot of players. You could go up and down the, the offensive line. I mean, everybody I thought played really well. I think the person for me that in the whole scheme of things, of all the good things that came out, maybe he wasn't on the radar was was or below the radar uh, was Lazard. I really felt like there was some key and some drives and some uh, third downs where he was just like the glue that held it all together. I mean, five catches and 59 yards, but those were all, all five of those catches were clutch at key points in the game. So, you know, with the blocking that he does and, and, and everything else, he's just a hard worker out there that makes everything kind of else mold together for the offense. I really like that point because I think when you get the running game going, but you end up in those, you know, you occasionally you end up in those third down situations. You have to make those plays. Those are the, game, those are the plays that keep the offense moving. And as Todd described, I mean, Lazard made those plays. I don't know how many of his five catches were for first downs on third down, but it seemed like all of them. It's probably not the case, but yeah. it seemed like that in the game and absolutely kept the offense moving in the second half in particular. So, yeah, really cool, really cool. I was thinking back to when the Packers won the Super Bowl that year. That seemed to happen all the time. They'd get the third and five and they get it all the time. Like that, they would always be able to come up with a third down conversion. And this game felt like that. And I've said it before, when Lazard goes to the line, you don't know what he's going to do because he's such a good blocker. He doesn't know. You don't know if he's going to run to the pattern or mangle some, you know, defensive back on a run. Guys kind of want to get away from him when it's third and short. And I think that that is a weapon that they, the Packers need to continue to use over and over again. Bobby, Bobby Tanyan had a nice game. Finally. Let, I mean, right. He was wide open on that touchdown. Right. Like he started waving his hand. Yeah. And then ran another 10 before, yards. He was waving his hand before he crossed the, the goal, the goal line. line. Yes. Yeah. You need that guy to play well or any one of those motherfuckers that plays tight yeah. end to play well. You have to have that guy out there. He's got to be able to get open. You cannot just not t- cover the tight end. I need to say this too, and I know I'm, I talk too much on this show. I always look at Zach Tom's PFF grade. And I think he's better than his PFF grade. And maybe I'm just watching a different game or I tend to watch him at the time when he's doing well. But the Packers run the football better when Zach Tom is playing offensive line for the Packers. That's my opinion. But then I look at his PFF grade for run blocking. It's always in the 50s. So I don't know. Maybe I need to watch it a couple more times. But I think that he is the reason. He's part of the reason they run the football well. I think that he is able to get out in space and make plays, whereas I'm not sure Yash Nyman or even David Bakhtiari can 
get down the field to the second level like Zach Tom can. The whole O-line played well in this game. It was probably their best game of the year, too. Yeah, Zadarius Smith honestly. was fucking invisible in this game. Yeah, he was. This crew is starting to get consistent at the right time. I mean, everything is kind of leading towards good things, right? Every Everything is kind of coming together. One sack, four hurries. Having Bakhtiari and Jenkins on the left side certainly helps. I mean, oh, those absolutely. guys have started to play well. Yep. And if David Bakhtiari... They're mostly healthy. Play, right. Mostly everyone's healthy. Peter, anything else good before we move on to the bad? No, I think you, got, I think you guys have, have covered it all. It's hard to have a bad when they score 41 points. Really? <laughs> I only threw this in there just because I was like, I couldn't think of anything really. But they did, they got off to a slow start. And maybe that was the after effect of the block punt or something. I don't know. I don't know how many three and outs we had, but there was started out at least two or three. I mean, having that punt blocked in the beginning, I thought, oh, oh yeah. here we go. I know. Right? This is a big game, and you, you basically shit down your leg and don't move the football at all and then get the punt blocked on top of it. Yep. They need to get – was it 2020, 2021? It seemed like they scored on every first drive. Like, you don't want to give the Packers the ball first because they're going to score. Now I think you absolutely give the Packers the ball first. They rarely score on that first drive. No ugly when you score 41 points. Moving on. Defense. Peter, again, we'll start with you. Your favorite thing of good on defense. So rather than pick an individual, I think the fact that they forced those those turnovers, and we talked about this, and we've talked about this a number of times, you win the turnover battle, you win the games in the NFL pretty much. When you force four turnovers, I don't know what the numbers are, but you can bet the numbers 90% of games that you win in the NFL, that kind of number. What was nice about that or doubly nice about forcing those four turnovers is that they were all different players. So you're not now relying on one player to come up with those big plays. Was that 12 turnovers in the last three games or something like that? They're forced. If they continue to do that, regardless of what else they do on defense, that will win you games. That's the kind of form that will take you to the Super Bowl, regardless of how many yards you give up on on defense, if eventually you can force those turnovers. So that, for me, is the big factor. Jair Alexander, to me, set the tone of this entire fucking game. I mean, from the very, very beginning. And I think he started even a few weeks back where I I kept saying, like, this guy is playing and taking, maybe he's taking too many chances, but he is putting this team on his back for a reason. Talking all kinds of shit about Jefferson before the game and did the gritty on him. That was awesome, dude. Oh, my God. I love that. That held him to, what, five targets and one reception and 15 yards. And the difference here was, if you noticed, almost every single time, he was right up in his face. He got up in his grill and hands-on. As soon as the ball was snapped, he was jamming the shit out of him off the line. And it, it frustrated Jefferson. It got into his head, and he was out of his mind. He was completely disheveled lost control, tried to take his helmet off and throw it and hit the referee, which I was surprised that wasn't a penalty. You could just see the the amount of frustration that, that he just got into his head and he just, I felt like this was Jair Alexander's, not only his best game of the season, but like he was the catalyst that really uh, made things happen for this win. I mean, I think that Jefferson was so disturbed that he even dropped his helmet 
onto the official that time. That's how that's how disturbed Jeff Jefferson was. Right. And yeah, and yeah, I can only assume that that official just assumed that it was players going off the field that bumped him. Yeah, he didn't even wasn't react looking to it. at him. He wasn't otherwise, that's at him. an automatic. That's an automatic ejection for touching an official. Yeah, but, um, yeah. And then he was blaming his cleats. He was just, you know, he called that a taunting penalty when Jair did the gritty. That um, was awesome. Said it should have been awesome. a taunting penalty, which it probably should have been, but it was. I would have freaking spectacular. I would have taken it. That was awesome. You know, when you're when you talk shit before a game, and then go back it up, I have less problem with that. I have more problem with him, you know, calling EQ St. Brown a scrub after the game because now there's nothing to do other than just talk until the next year comes. But to say that basically I'm going to shut Justin Jefferson down before it happens and then go out there and do it. Awesome. Viking fans are like, oh, they're triple teaming him. Yeah. Because he's fucking great. And the rest of your receiving core is all of a sudden shit. Like Adam Thielen... Has Had fallen one off catch. the map. Yeah, he's terrible. I mean, guys hit a wall, right? They right. hit an age wall or whatever, and I don't know if that's it. But why wouldn't we triple team Justin Jefferson? He's your best player. And Dalvin Cook was awful in this game. So you only have one weapon. TJ Hawkinson, another good player. But, I mean, Justin Jefferson is your guy. So, yeah, we're going to triple team him. And I agree. I, you know, Todd, you read my mind on that one. Alexander was getting up there and just jacking him at the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah. Every and where, where are your nifty feet, Justin Jefferson? Because you're the guy that can, you know, you're the Devontae Adams Jr. You should be able to get away from press coverage. He was so wrecked mentally. Oh, yeah. He just wasn't doing it or he, couldn't do it. It was bizarre. He, he took him out in the first quarter. I mean, it was already. The game was over for him. Yeah. yeah. I thought the defensive line was strong. I thought they got a lot of pressure. I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know whether the PFF numbers showed up, but it felt to me that they got quite a lot of pressure on Cousins, which led to some of those turnovers. And, you know, with, with, with Jaya shutting down Jefferson, he had, Cousins had nowhere to go to get rid of that football quickly. Nowhere. It just felt like defensively, it was as strong a performance as, as they've put up for a long time. And where's that performance been all year? My only concern, and it's not a concern, it's not the right word, is they were on center number three. Are they beating up on a backup or are they playing well? TJ Slayton and Kenny Clark had their way with that dude. They, oh, yeah. That guy had no answer for either one of them. They had a million false starts and delays. Yeah, they I were mean, just they shit were, tricks. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. I hope that it's because Clark and Slayton and Jaron Reed and Devontae White are like figuring it out. That's what I want to believe. My, one of my favorite parts of this game defensively is that Devontae Wyatt got 34 snaps because he is disruptive. He's able to get away from linemen. He's able to use his hands well. And even if he's not making plays, he's disrupting plays. And that's not something you can say for Dean Lowry. Like, And I'm not beating up on Dean Lowry. This is not a Dean Lowry beat-up session. Dean Lowry was okay if he was on a one-on-one block. He could hold that block and make the tackle if the guy was running by him. But rarely did he make plays in the backfield. And I think that's the difference between Devontae Wyatt and Dean Lowry is Devontae Wyatt will make plays in the backfield. And if he does, we're going to see more of what we saw on Sunday. It was a huge defensive stand after the block. I thought, man, they're just going to hand it off to Delvin Cook and it's in. Or or throw it to Jefferson in the corner and that's it. (laughs) Right on first down. I thought it was over. That was a nice defensive stand and really set the tone going forward and to get out of that with just a field goal was that was a a definite definitive 
part of that game. Yeah, it was, and you used the right word there. That absolutely set the tone because who knows what have happened, how games change if they'd have scored there. Oh, yeah, huge. But, but you know, it, it was bizarre, and I tweeted this out even before it went on on air. Was um, when the Packers led fourteen three, I think, and the Packers only have fourteen yards of offense at that point, and the Vikings had like minus one yard of offense because they went backwards from that right. from that blocked punt. <laughs> but uh, but do you know what? When that block punt happened, I know we haven't got the special teams yet. I just immediately thought of Todd and him describing oh my God. Hawkes's blocked punt from last year. Oh, my year. God. <laughs> I was off the couch on that one again. I could just see a $13 cuss rant coming yes. if the Packers would have lost this game. But because they pulled it out and the defense was able to stop them on there, it wasn't so bad. Instead of the good, how about the – if we had a category for great – how about Savage's pick six and Preston Smith fucking lunging cousins? Dude. Oh my god! I could have replayed that over and over. And I saw cousins; he was making an effort. I thought, man, you're gonna get fucking pummeled, dude. And he just launched them. That was fucking beautiful. I love that. Was that was, that was a great play by Razul Douglas on that? You yeah. know, I beat up on him a couple weeks ago for some really bad plays that he had. That was a huge play. I mean, Savage returned for a touchdown. And that's what Darnell Savage gives you, athleticism and yeah. speed. And he was in the right place at the right time. Great. But that was a Razul Douglas play that Darnell Savage finished. But we'll take it because that was gigantic. And Douglas was good this week. He was. He was. Maybe it was your guy, Jerry Gree, last week telling him, get your shit together, bro. Yeah, we're trying to make the playoffs. Whatever reason, we'll take it, Razul. We'll take end of 2021 Razul back or just last year's guy and we'll be okay. Oh, the bad. I can't believe that you put Quay Walker's body slam in the bad. He's an idiot. He is an idiot. (laughs) It would be one thing if this would have been like the first time he did something like this. I would have been like, yeah, fuck it. It's Minnesota. I don't care. This is becoming a thing with him. This is like his third one. He's had a bunch of them. I think three is probably right. There's got to be at least three. And like, if we're going into the playoffs, like you can't be doing that shit. So hopefully one of the coaches is getting in his ear about that. But it's becoming a thing with him. And I'm not doing dumb shit. Did either one of you think, why are there no Vikings coming over to punch Quay Walker in the face? Right. I don't care. I guess they were out of it. That was a dirty play by Quay Walker. I was messing was. with you on the bat, but that's a dirty play. And when your dude gets body slammed, somebody should be coming over there to mow that guy down. Some he could have just fall. He he could have just fallen on him, but instead he kind of like grabbed him, picked him back up this way, and then just he should have put, put a, a he didn't WWE. put a knee in there. Yeah, put a knee. <laughs> Drop like him under, on his knee. Like an undertaker or something. Exactly. The pocket was collapsed. I know that you said that they should have been better at collapsing the pocket. The pocket was collapsing from the inside, not yeah. from the outside in this game. Cousins had a couple long runs that just really annoyed me. And I get that they're playing back, but. Yeah, he's not the most athletic dude. So to see him breaking off like 17-yard runs, if that's damn near anybody else, that's yeah. a 25-yard run. Maybe it's a touchdown. Like, I don't I, know. I'd, I'd worry I mean, about I felt that. The, I felt the pressure was there and the, they were collapsing it around him, but I felt like we should have had at least a half a dozen sacks in this game. But we, we just weren't converting them for whatever, for whatever reason. 
I think we only ended up having like two. Let's move on to the special teams. How sick was that? It's very hard to, I mean, Keyshawn Nixon is, has been great. You said it, I think, Todd, in a text. When you see the hole from the backside, what the fuck was with that camera angle? It's like they weren't ready for play. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like think so. No I, I think so. When you see it from the backside, the hole that Keyshawn Nixon ran through was eight yards wide. Oh, yeah. So, and that keeps happening, right? That is yep. consistently happening. It so is. That's on Keyshawn Nixon, but that's also on Rich Pisaccia. Whatever they're doing, he has to get some credit for that. But then why the fuck do we keep having punts blocked every week? You know what I mean? Like, we can't figure out that. We figure out the kickoff return, but punting, no. I know. But anyway, Keyshawn Nixon, Rob sent me a message. We love you, Rob. I should get a 25 jersey that says zero fucks on the back. I yeah. might have to get like a, like the, you know, I can't have both words. I can't wear that to, out in the public. Yeah. I'll get like the, like asterisk thing, like the pound sign, question mark, KS. Yeah. But yes, if Keyshawn Nixon is on the roster next year, I will get one. 105. I, will- I wonder where that ranks in uh, Packers kickoff return. Third longest play in. Packers history of any type. Uh, Randall Cobb have a 106 or 107 his rookie year? 108. 108. What? Randall, Randall Cobb, Cobb in, his, in his rookie season. Should have been yeah, called Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Al Carmichael back in the day, that would have been the 1950s, had a 106-yard kickoff return, and this was the, the third wow. long. He leads the league in kickoff return yardage. And he only started – Doing what, kickoff returns. Seven games? <laughs> yeah, a couple weeks ago. And in kickoff return average as well. And, and he's going to win that kickoff return title. And the last Packer to do that, this surprises me because I don't remember it. The last Packer to win the kickoff return, NFL kickoff return title was Robert Brooks. Oh, really? Wow. That must have been early on. Yeah, 1993. I don't even remember him returning many kicks, but there you go. Huh. That's hmm. awesome. Me neither. And that's why Peter's on the show, because he gives us facts. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, we don't have to be fact-checked when Peter's around. Again, we have beat up on Money Mason Crosby. He kicked a brick 56 yards. Peter, didn't you say on Twitter that that was the longest kick at Lambeau? Longest successful field goal by a Packer at Lambeau Field, yeah. Holy mackerel. Yes, that's really? bananas, right? Other- Clearly, other than the one that wasn't recorded that Todd did outside the stadium. Right. Last, last it wasn't week. in Lambo, it was next. Yeah. There's official and there's yeah. unofficial. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, props to you, Mason Crosby. I thought, what are they doing trying him too. out there right now? Yeah, I don't. Like, this is unfair. And it went 55.95 yards <laughs> and then <laughs> bounced <laughs> over. Made some it noise off the crossbar. Yeah, that was awesome. Oh. And then Peter had to give some shit to the friends at Zero Doinks. You know, love. the funny thing is, I I wonder if that week they brought that kicker in off the practice squad to the to the lineup. I thought I they think. were going to put him out there. He was activated he was this activated. week, and then, and then suffered yeah. a groin injury in the warmups. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know crazy. that because they were yeah. planning on using him to kick yeah. off. Yeah. Right on, Mason. Riding off into the sunset with guns blazing. That's awesome. I was like, and that just, 
that was another what they went into half after that. that I mean, that a- was another really I mean, that was not only a big kick, the momentum and everything was just going their way. Yeah, it was an answer. They moved the ball with like 30 seconds left to get to that spot. Because the Vikings had just missed one. And then we brought it back down the field and then kicked the 56-yarder and went into halftime. Right. Can we stop pissing away timeouts in the first half? Yeah. We we blow more timeouts in the first half for no reason at all. I mean, it worked out fine. But it would have been nice to have a timeout in your hands there rather than have to, you know, clock it and try a 56-yard field goal. Well, I was going to say, that's one of my pet peeves. And it's been a pet peeve for a long, long time. And John Madden used to say he never allowed his quarterbacks ever to take a timeout. On the, ba- on the basis that he'd rather take the five-yard penalty because you can get the five yards back, but you can never get the timeout back. And Todd's favorite special teams player, Dallin Lovett, who did have the wherewithal to get up. Maybe if we would have had him last year. Never mind. Dude, that guy, I'm honestly scared for that guy. He gets fucking ragdolled out there. He only weighs 190 pounds. Why is he out there? Why is he the up back, though? Right. Why why don't, I mean, your long snapper, Coco, is what, 245? And then the guy directly behind him is 195. So if I run out on the end to kind of. I put him somewhere other than coming. I wouldn't put Levitt out on the field, period. For anything, but that's just me. And I think that's how you were saying before, how like, how can some things go so well on special teams? And then all of a sudden there's like a complete shit show. And I think it's personnel and they're still figuring it out. And if there's one person that I think they, they got to put someone else in there for him. Eric Wilson. At least, on, at least on punt. Yeah, I totally agree. Eric Wilson was put on this roster to play special teams too. Yeah. And he's leading the Packers in tackles right now on special teams. So I looked up, like, why are they? Because I know that you beat up on Dallin Levin, and I wanted to have an argument. Like, this is why Dallin Levin is out there. Last year, Dallin Levin had 35 tackles on special teams for the Raiders. That's why he is on this roster. But he's only got 12 this year, and I don't know what his value is right now. Yeah. I mean- you look at the guys they brought in. Rudy Ford plays meaningful snaps on at safety. Keyshawn Nixon brought in as a special teamer is returning kicks like no other. Okay, that's a lot of value. Eric Wilson was brought in, making tackles, played linebacker in a few games when he, they needed him to. What is Dallin Levitt giving you other than the 18 snaps on special teams? Nothing. I think you replace him as that up-back guy right now. Put someone in there that's going to stick his face in there and not get completely like just I don't think he's. I don't think over. he's. I don't think he's tentative to stick his face in there. He's just getting destroyed. Well, right. He's too. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like man. So the Packers play another huge game, like playoff game after playoff game after playoff game. Here come the Lions. Now, who would have thought the Lions would be? I can't remember what we said. I think we said six or seven wins for the Lions. So I guess we weren't very far off. Peter on offense, there's a lot of skill talent on this team. Which guy should we worry about? On offense, I'd worry about all of them. Right? I think the offensive line is really is really good. I think that they've got the passing game going, even though I don't think any of us are necessarily huge fans of Jared Goff. You can't knock what they've done. And I think they're so scary because this is a team that started one and six. And so I think if they'd got to their six or seven wins by winning a game here, losing a game there, winning another, you'd think, okay, they're kind of a 
a decent team. But this is a team that's been on a roll like the Packers have been on. With Jamal Williams, who will always be a Packer, about to cross the 1,000-yard marker this week with, I think it's six yards he needs. That will give the Packers two 1,000-yard rushes this season because I'm yeah. counting Jones like and Williams. Said. I think that whole offense worries you. Armand Rassant, Brown, I think all of, I think all of those guys, I just think this is an offense that when you look at it, even when they went one and six early, this is an offense that moved up and down the field all day long and it's continued to do that all season. I mean, from a talent perspective, you look across and I don't really see anyone that really stands out that scares me too much. I mean, DeAndre Swift, Injured early in the year, and now he's back healthy. That could be a factor. If our defense continue to play like we are, I'm not that threatened by them. I think if we can disturb Goff and get him out of sync early, usually bad things happen with, with Jared Goff after that getting to him early. But like Peter said, they have a pretty talented offensive line. So we'll see. But from a talent perspective, I don't really see anybody that stands out that actually scares me now. So Jair plays Amon Ross St. Brown. You take your chances with the other guys. Jamison Williams, who I picked up in my fantasy league, has done jack shit. DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, and we all love Jamal Williams. I think it's it, that comes off of their offensive line and their offensive line being very good. I mean, Jamal Williams, we know what we had with him. He's got 15 touchdowns this year. Their guys move guys out of the way. They'll have to stop that. If you can get to golf, you know what he's going to do. He's going to throw it to the wrong team once in a while. Yeah. Defensively, they've got two young guys. Peter, you're the our draft guy. We know about Aiden Hutchinson. The other guy on the other side, Houston, has really played well recently, too. His speed scares me a bit, but they have given up quite a few points, too. Like, they've scored a lot of points on offense, the Lions have, but they also give up quite a few points. So maybe this is a track meet in the snow and the cold and Lambeau Sunday night. Ironically, we scored the least amount of points out of anyone this year when we played them earlier. Nine. Yeah, but they've also let up consistently. Uh, they've let up some pretty good numbers. So Carolina's got 37 on them. Peter, any other thoughts on Detroit before we go to our picks here? We've touched on their offense. I think the Packers' offensive line will control the Lions' defensive line and their pass rushing. And you're right about Houston. He's got like six sacks in the last five games or or something like that. But the whole game to me feels like a – one of you may have mentioned it. It just feels like a track meet. It feels like this is a high-scoring game. Packers are four-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under is 49 and a half. So Las Vegas also thinks this is going to be a track meet. Packers are four and a half point favorites. 49 and a half is the over-under. What are your thoughts, friends? I'm going to go with the under and the Packers to cover. I think it's going to be 31-29. Is that scoregami? Like, has that ever been, has that ever happened? So the Packers will not cover, but they will go way over the 49 and a half. Yeah, I think the Packers win this by a score. I think they I think they cover, so they win by six or seven, and it's over. And the reason I'm saying that is I think whatever the situation the Lions are in, and we touched on this earlier, they're either playing a win to get in the playoffs or Seattle's won earlier. I think the Lions then play with nothing to lose, and they've already shown this season that they're prepared to run fake punts, they're prepared to go for it on fourth down, run all kinds of funny stuff. I think in a situation where they've got nothing to play for, they're going to do even more of that. And that just, to me, just leads to it's going to be a high-scoring game either because they don't make it or because they keep drives going that they otherwise wouldn't. Yeah, I think it's a high-scoring game, but the, but the Packers do cover. That's it? 
All right. So thanks for listening to episode 110 of the Average Cheese Podcast, the Matt Flynn episode. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.